Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. We'll be looking at six verses there together. I want to continue along the theme of enough. We're going to talk today about abundance and plenty. Abundance and having plenty. There are a number of texts that I could have chosen, but we've really kind of bounced around some of the core texts the last few weeks, and I wanted to take you to a text from the Psalms that is powerful in the way that it challenges us. Are you open, wide open, to God doing anything in your life? Is your heart wide open to receive? I want to challenge you with this. Ask yourself the question now. We'll define the question further as we walk through the scripture, but are you truly open? God getting your whole heart, or have you kind of uh, decided that your spiritual life is going to take up this little corner of your life that's a little different from this corner? Have Have you determined that he gets everything? When you come before him, does your heart say, Lord, just fill me with your presence? Psalm 81 and 10, God is speaking here. This is one of Asaph's psalms. And God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Is that a great promise or what? Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But now there is rebuke from the Lord. He said, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Satisfy. Plenty. Open wide. Fullness. These are the promises of God to you and to me, the promises of God. Father, I pray that You would lead us to a place where we are before you wide open. Absolutely wide open. To and for anything you want to do in us, through us. Bring us to a place of absolute openness. Amen. Last month, I caught a little bit of the Daytona 500. I haven't watched much racing in a lot of years. And for those of you who, you know, have 
you never hear me talk about NASCAR and that bothers you, this is your day. You hit it on the right Sunday. Aren't you glad you didn't sleep in? And also just want to welcome the people who are just now coming through the lobby. Last month, I, I caught a little bit of Daytona, and I hadn't watched racing for a long, long time, and they've, they've really improved the cameras, and I was amazed. I love the cameras, of course, that they embed down in the track, and they catch the cars coming over. That's pretty amazing, or the ones that are in the fence, and you see the cars coming by so quick. They just kind of overwhelm me. I was just taken back afresh and anew with the speed. Around 200 miles an hour, faster than a 747 taking off. Which is why when they do get airborne, generally there's a few band-aids passed out. You know, to win a NASCAR race, to win in the Indy cars, on the big, big tracks, you have to peg that thing and hold it wide open. Wide open. I've never had the opportunity to go to one of the tracks and do that thing, you know, where you can drive around the track and... I, I, I don't know if, if my insurance will cover it, but someday I'd, I'd kind of like to do that because it's been a long, long time since I've driven wide open. Some of you, it was just, you know, your trip to church this morning, but for me, <laughs> for me, I saw your wife walk in. Uh, but, but for me, only a few times. 17 years old, my first car was a 1969 Camaro. I would give away the two vehicles I have sitting on the parking lot right now to have that car back. I really would. I'd give them away. I would. But that car now is paper clips because uh, I sold it to a girl who wrecked it about two months later, and I don't know that God has forgiven her for that yet, but uh, she wrecked it, totally wrecked it. But when it was still mine, Across the Sailorville Bridge, just north of Des Moines, Iowa, a mile-long bridge across the Sailorville Reservoir. Sun had just gone down. The moon was up. It was an absolute beautiful night. And that mile in front of straight as an arrow, not a car or cop in sight. And I decided at 17 that I needed to walk on the wild side. And so I absolutely pegged it, just pegged it. What a thrill. The, the, the cop was waiting at the other end of the Sailorville <laughs> Reservoir. And I, I didn't tell first service that, but I am not kidding. I'm not kidding. The only good news was he really had to work to pull me over. <laughs> when I went by him and saw him out of the corner of my eye, my heart rate went to about 3,000. And my temperature, my, my temperatures only recently returned to normal. It was, it was a shock, that shock moment. Now I drive sensibly. And there's a vast difference between sensibly and wide open. A vast difference. I was 17, by the way, and I had not yet grown anything on top of the, my brain stem at 17. I'm smarter now. I know to be more sensible. And sensible is, it's more predictable. Sensible is more reasonable. Sensible is more manageable. But I have to say, in the words of B.B. King, the thrill is gone, baby. The thrill is gone <laughs> with sensibility. And sensibility is okay. If you're piloting about two tons of Nissan through I-40 traffic, 
Manageable is really good. You should manage your highway travel. You really should. You should manage your driving. But what about your spiritual life? I'm here to tell you this morning that God cannot be managed. And for a number of folks who will hear me today, if you take an honest assessment of your soul, that's exactly what you have, a manageable deity. You manage God. He doesn't manage you. You say that he's Lord, but he's really not in charge. Your checkbook's not baptized. Rest of you might be. Or you look at your life and you see any number of inconsistencies and you just kind of wink, wink, nod, nod at the heavens saying, it's okay with God, we've made a deal. He doesn't play that game. He doesn't play with that game. That's managing. That's saying, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to manage the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit in my life. He'll kind of do what I want him to do. If God is managed, can you truly say that he's Lord? Don McCullough wrote a great book entitled The Tribulization of God. I always remember Carol Mezzapelli. When I remember the book, we were on a plane going to Russia. I had just looked at her slinking down in the chair. I'm going to use you as a good illustration this time, Carol. A good illustration this time. We're on a plane. We're going to Russia. I pulled that book out. She was a couple rows back. She saw the title. She said, what's that about? It took me a, an hour or more to get the book back from her. It was a great, it was a great book. And if I've listed my top 10 books that have affected me, deeply affected me, I would have to say that McCullough would be one of the top 10 outside of scripture of the top 10, the trivialization of God, the dangerous, the dangerous illusion of a manageable deity. I couldn't put it down. I've read the book at least a half a dozen times. I believe it's in the foreword where he says, visit an average congregation on a Sunday morning and you will likely find a congregation comfortably relating to a deity who fits nicely within precise doctrinal positions or who lends almighty support to social crusades or who conforms to individual spiritual experiences. But you'll not likely find much awe. Wonder. The result is a diminished influence of the church on the world around it, a sad reflection of the manageable deity we have put in God's place. Manageable. God is not manageable. He does not come with a cruise control option. You can't take in the fullness of the Almighty through a straw. I'll just take a sip. Doesn't work that way. Where does the wide open life begin? Well, a psalm of Asaph carries this appeal from God to his people, Israel, to step into a life of abundance, to step into a life where there is more than enough. This psalm offers three dimensions I want us to examine today. Three dimensions. First, the scripture text here speaks to the spiritual capacity that God demands. The spiritual capacity that God demands. Read it there in the text. God is looking for vessels he can fill. Open wide your mouth 
and I will fill it. This is the spiritual capacity that he demands. Don't sip from a straw. Open wide your mouth. Stand before me. Open wide your mouth and let me fill it. Don't you manage it. Let me fill it. A a prerequisite to receiving anything from God is to open up your heart. So we have to deal with the issue of spiritual openness. Spiritual openness as opposed to spiritual management. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I don't remember the where's and the when's, but I do remember the experience sitting in a restaurant. You've had this experience too. You're sitting two tables over from a a dad. I'll pick on a dad this time. A dad who's trying to feed that 15 to 18 month old kid out of the jar of peaches at the dinner table and he's not doing well. You been there? Remember what it was like when you were trying to get the kid to eat and the kid wouldn't eat? So you developed all kinds of tricks. I was watching this guy, I felt sorry for him. I had, we had already raised our three girls. We'd already been through all of this. I could have really helped him. I felt like I had good advice that I could have offered. I really did, well, I'm a teacher. I wanted to step over and say, first of all, I don't know who taught you your method, but it's not gonna work. I wanted to do this. Isn't it nice? Isn't it, not, isn't it a good thing that I have a wife who's like a governor that way? No, you can't do that. I can't. No, you really can't. But it was an awful mess because little Junior obviously wasn't open to the idea and dad was determined. I love these guys. Rather than just let it ride, we'll be okay. He was determined. We don't leave the table until you have eaten every bite of your Gerber's peaches. And it was a mess. They had all the right equipment. They had that proper little spoon, you know, the one that's rubber coated because the kid clamps down so tight sometimes. So they got the little rubber spoon. And then he had somewhat of an industrial strength kind of bib uh, that strapped on like a straitjacket, it seemed. And it was, it, was, it was weird, but he obviously, this had been a problem point for them, so they had obviously gone out and they had bought all the right equipment. So he had that going, but I could tell this guy had missed a few classes at dad school. He had no imagination whatsoever. He's just trying to feed the kid and the kid's got those lips just clamped shut and there's no way. There is a point, by the way, I learned this a while ago too, there's a point right here where you push real hard, the mouth opens. Your kid will struggle with with TMJ later in life and you you may get sued, but he didn't know any of these things. He didn't didn't know you gotta fly the food in. It's either gotta be a bee or a helicopter. He didn't know any of this stuff. I was watching an absolute moron trying to feed his kid. You know, it's like, where did you go to school? What's wrong? What's lacking in your education? And Sherry's, no, I wanted to help him. Or he didn't know any of it. He didn't know the little sing the melody thing. Women are bigger on this than men, but they sing the little song and they kind of bounce it around and everything. And then there's that note in the song that they hit and the kid goes, <laughs> yeah. He didn't, know the, he didn't know any of the songs. He could have used Itsy Bitsy Spider, it would have helped, but he didn't know the song. 
And then he really didn't know the old, you know, sneak and tickle move, which is a real good one. <laughs> Boom, get you. I mean, you just, you have to be ready. You have to be ready because the kid doesn't want to laugh, but there comes a moment when the mouth, and you've got to be there with it. And so I'm sitting over, I'm watching this guy, and he's an absolute, he's an absolute disaster. And then he tries, oh, this is even better. Then he tries to reason with the child who can't understand a word that he's saying. That's when you just talk to him. And if they don't respond, just talk louder. It works on foreign fields. I felt sorry for him. It was like watching a bad dancer. You just feel for them. He tried to reason with the little guy and the kid just kept locking up and the hands were failing, were, were flailing around and, and the, head was, the head was shaking and bobbing. This boy had about half a jar of pears in his hair and his forehead and under his chin. And, and finally, mercifully, mercifully, dad gave up. My mother informs me that I wasn't like that when I was a boy. If it was food, I had the garage door open all the time and was ready to receive. It was kind of like there was a clicker. All she had to do is, all she had to do is make a motion towards the cabinet and I was ready. I was fully ready. I, I, I was, you know, I was every dentist's dream, you know, open up, man, I opened up. And bottom line is this, if you're not open, you can't receive. And those of you who are trying to sip a little, of re, a little bit of religion out of the corner of your mouth with a, a little tiny straw, you need to understand that until you open up and say, Lord, I don't care. I really don't care what anybody thinks, and I really don't care about anything else in my life right now. I just want to open up wide, and I want you to step into my life, and I want you to fill me with your presence, because it's not working my way. I really need you to come into my life, Jesus, in a big, big way. Open wide. Open wide. I've watched people struggle to receive the fullness of the Spirit because they're not open. They want a manageable God. They're sure they don't want the God. They're sure they don't want the God who came upon men of old in the in the Old Testament. That thing of Him coming upon scares them to death. And then they read about Pentecost that on the day of Pentecost the Spirit came upon them, and that that troubles them also. You'll never receive anything from God if you have this presupposition that God will only give you kind of what you want. You have to want him absolutely and open wide your mouth to receive whatever it is that he has. People want sippy cup religion. Back in the day when suits were king, remember that? Preachers weren't allowed to get in the pulpit without a suit and tie on. It, it was like, it was never written in the constitution and bylaw of any church or movement, but it was law. It was, it was law. You, you didn't, you didn't dare show up if you were the preacher unless you had uh, the suit and tie. And, and, you know, I had suit and ties and, and all of that stuff in the closet ready to go. And I remember, I remember arriving at the dry cleaner. I, I don't know why I was at the dry cleaner for all of my suits unless maybe I'd had one of those peaches experiences with the kids. But the suits had to go to the dry cleaner and I was there to, to pick them all up, all of them, about five of them. And I was five minutes late at a cleaner world. I've never got over that. I use another cleaner now. I pulled up to that nice window where I always would pull up and she'd come out and bring my stuff and nobody came out the door. I can't tell you how disappointing it was. 
You know what the problem was? I was five minutes after, and they were closed, and there was nobody left inside. Obviously, all of the employees had closed about 20 minutes early so that at the stroke of 5 o'clock, they were out the door in their cars and off the parking lot. I looked. There I was sitting, and no one would open the door. I believe the God of heaven at times looks down at us when we've come together in a church service, and he sees closed, 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 closed. He wants to fill us. He wants so much to come and work in our lives. He wants so much to deliver upon his promise. But if we are closed, what can he do with us? God wants to move. Does he find you open or closed? Open wide. So it's all about spiritual openness, and it's all about spiritual eagerness. Eagerness. I moved down a few psalms to the 84th psalm. This one, a little bit different, but the 84th says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I felt that this morning when I stepped into this house. I want to say this in a way that I am not in any way casting aspersions, but yesterday I was in another setting, another church setting with another group of people, and we had a great day, and their praise and worship team did a wonderful job for us to start things off, and I enjoyed those people so much, the fellowship of those people. Well, I walked through the door this morning, though. I wanted to worship with you. We are the body of Christ that gathers here at Calvary Church. We are a family. We are one in Jesus. If somebody doesn't say amen, don't make me come out there. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. I came walking into this place, and I was sure glad to see Kevin down here because Kevin will bust it loose during worship. I said, I'm standing with Kevin. I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but we're going to touch heaven. We're going to experience him this morning. Phil began to sing that list. Every one of those songs just made me want to shout just made me want to somehow tear open my heart and say, Lord, just take me apart and put me back together. I'm yours. Eagerness. I was longing for it this morning. God responds to an eager heart. God responds always to the one who longs for his presence. Show me someone who has an open heart and an eagerness to learn of the Lord. I'll show you a disciple in the making. I'll show you someone who God is perfecting. Eagerness and enthusiasm are absolutely essential to spiritual growth. God is looking for people who are eager and enthusiastic for his presence. At 52 years of age, Ray Kroc had bounced from job to job to job, giving and really giving and getting very little out of each one of them. He was a traveling salesperson at 52, hawking milkshake machines. In 1955, he came across a, a new fast food chain that captured his imagination, and it became the turning point of his life. It was a little 20 to 30 floor, uh, store chain called McDonald's, run by two brothers whose last name was McDonald. Most people focus on Ray Kroc's life after he became the CEO of McDonald's and after he blew it up all over the world. That's, that's what they talk about when they talk about Ray Kroc, but the, real, but the real story, not the effect, but the cause, the real story, 
is what happened when Ray Kroc stepped into that first McDonald's. He was so impressed with the product, the price. He was so impressed with the potential of the place. For six years, he worked for the McDonald's brothers as a franchising agent. And in six years, the milkshake salesman established 200 franchises. That's working. He just, according to the McDonald brothers, he just like turned on. He, he gave it all of his energy, his ideas, his enthusiasm, everything he had, he gave to the process. And according to Dick McDonald, he said he was just, he was dynamic, he was aggressive, he was far more enthused than my brother and me. <laughs> far more enthused than my brother and me. I don't know if I should say, well, yeah, here's an idea. You're kind of tired at your work and weary about the whole thing and gripe and complaining all the time about the blessing that God has brought into your life through a job and money. Anyways, if, if you are, become more enthused about the place than the stockholders are. Become more enthused than your manager is. You say, how can I do that? Well, you open your mouth and the Lord will fill it. He'll give you anything that you need. You pray to him and say, I want to be a bright light in the place where I'm working. I want to turn the place upside down for the kingdom of God. So do whatever you need to do in my heart so that when I step into that place, I am absolutely lit up with the presence and the power of God. And I serve. I serve the people that I'm working for with the spirit of Jesus. I guarantee you the atmosphere will change somehow. Amen? Now, by Jeremiah, and Phil didn't know I was going to use the text this morning in the message when he said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Are you wide open? See, the life God gives requires spiritual capacity, and you have it, but not unless you open up your heart. That capacity will never be filled. Are you open? Two, we need to look at the spiritual sufficiency of God. The spiritual sufficiency of God. God promises to meet the need of those who live wide open. First, he promises to give them the blessing of a triumphant life. Triumphant. I wonder how many of you today would say, I'm feeling good. Feeling fine. Doing well. And whether one or two of you would say, I am triumphant. How many of you have like, is it the William Wallace thing from Braveheart? How many of you are kind of like that? I am triumphant. The Bible talks about us being led in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus. The Bible speaks of the Christian life as being a life of triumph, not just a life of pretty good, getting along, doing okay, better than the neighbors. Are you triumphant? I walk and move with a lot of defeated Christians. They just say, oh man, the devil's really beating me up, bless his holy name. 
Man, the, it's, you know, just, oh, it's so tough out there. It's so hard. Hey, there's all, I'm not belittling any of the hardships that come along in our lives. God will use every one of them. The bumps in life are for climbing. The, the detours that take place in life, sometimes God will lead you down that hard road where he's going to teach you what you never would have, never would have learned on the path that you were following. So rather than resist everything, why don't you open up and say, Lord, you guide my steps, and wherever you take me, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to be triumphant even in trouble. Verse 13 in the 81st, if my people would listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? Let the Lord fight your battles. We often live under an inflated estimate of the strength of the adversary. Oh, he is strong and he's cunning and he's ruthless. But is he any match for God? Any match for God? How quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? And so here we find God pleads with Israel as he pleads with us. If my people would only listen and follow, they would know triumph. Oh, that's a big word, triumph. A triumph is a big win. I'm not talking about squeaking something out at the last minute when the clock's running out. I'm talking about an absolute decimation of the adversary. Triumph. Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ Jesus and through us everywhere spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. It's no big thing for God to overcome our enemies. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your spiritual na- or your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ, forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that which stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in the cross. Triumph. The wide open life is a triumphant life. Remember, open and eager for God, walking in the blessing of triumph, also walking in the blessing of abundant living. Abundant living. In verse 10, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. In verse 16, I would, but, but you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you, God says. That's abundance. My theme verse for life is the thief has come to kill, to steal, and destroy, but I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Genesis 27, 28, blessing of Isaac to Jacob. May God give you the heavens due, the earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also enlarge and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through, that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's abundance. This doesn't mean that God's going to give everybody a Rolls Royce and a Learjet. You don't need a Rolls Royce or a Learjet. But there will be enough, and you will live a life of fullness. This is the promise of God to you and to me, conditioned on opening wide and receive what he has for you.
So what will derail our triumph? What will derail this abundance so clearly promised in the scripture? Well, brings us to the third point. We need to talk about the spiritual delinquency of man. Delinquency. I've not been called a delinquent since I was 16. And it was unfair then until last week. I got a notice of, and it was very offensive, delinquency. Obviously, no vendor is going to send me a notice of delinquency. They're just going to send me another bill. But the government, when they want taxes, sends you a note, and on that note, they stamp delinquent. I got my delinquency notice. I had no idea. I didn't realize that I hadn't paid every penny and farthing, pence, dinero. I I looked at it all. I said, you know, they're right. I missed that. I've taken care of it. I am no longer a delinquent. What is delinquency? It's It's a word we don't often use, and it's offensive in almost every use. We call someone, we think in terms of delinquency, and it's, it's really kind of a heavy tag to put on someone. It simply means that I failed to do what duty and law command. So I'm delinquent in my duties. Spiritual delinquency, which is failing to do what duty and law command for the Christian, spiritual delinquency takes two forms. First, it's the failure to hear God's word. Verse 11, but my people would not listen to me. Verse 13, if my people would but listen to me. A failure to hear his word. God's word is the launch point of every Christian endeavor. This is where everything flies or it fails. Do we hear the word of the Lord? Do we know our Bibles? Biblical illiteracy these days is frighteningly high among American believers, higher than it's ever been before. The scripture says of itself, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Without truth, there is no freedom. Without truth, you have bondage and you have half-truths, half-life, which is just as dark as darkness. Without truth, there is no freedom. Do we hear the word of God? Do we know the word of God? Things have changed so much. In my tenure as a pastor, we have seen radical cultural changes take place that have reshaped the face of America. When I began in pastoral ministry in 1981, I was speaking to people who had a different level of biblical literacy than the people I will address now week in and week out. In 2004, I was reading, I read my first book by Ravi Zacharias. There's another one that hits my top 10 read lists, but Can Man Live Without God? One of the best books I've ever read. As I was reading it, he was quoting statistics. Now, mind you, this is from 2004, so the statistics were probably a year or two years old because there's usually a lag for them getting into print. So, Here's what Zacharias said. He said, in the 1960s, 
65% of Americans believe the Bible to be true. Today that figure has dropped to, so today it was 2004, 65 had become 32%. Even more dramatically today, it's 2004, 64% of all Americans deny that there's any such thing as absolute truth. 70% say there are no moral absolutes. This confusion over truth, says Zacharias, is the fundamental crisis of our age. People don't know their Bibles. An update for you, 2017, a Gallup poll, fewer than one in four Americans, now 24%, believe that the Bible is the actual word of God and should be taken literally word for word. Similar to the 26% who view it as a book of fables, legends, history, moral precepts recorded by man. This is the first time in the four decade, in Gallup's four decade long trend that biblical literalism has not surpassed biblical skepticism. We are living in a culture that is no longer anchored in the word of God. We've got to smell up, or, or we've got to wake up, <laughs> smell up. We've got to wake up and smell the coffees. Everybody say, smell up and wake the coffee. We have to. Well, I just completely, that was really a good point, and it was going to have some heat with it, and I've just blown it. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. We can't do what we've always done before. I know anymore as a pastor, I cannot get up here on a Sunday morning and from ground zero start spouting off names from the Bible with the assurance that anybody will know what in the world I'm talking about. Don't know the difference between Absalom or Abimelech. If I were to start talking about the judges, for many of you, you might hit on some, but, but many people step in to, because they've been raised in a culture that no longer has those, those Judeo-Christian underpending and no longer has a level of biblical literacy that was somewhat normative before even the 1960s, highly normative in America, they no longer have that. So you explain everything. You have to explain everything. Because we are no longer a nation not the nation that we once were. We need truth, biblical truth. Where, where truth does not penetrate, truth cannot liberate. And so when people try and live as though they're free, but they've not experienced the penetration of truth, the word of God, they're just acting. They're just going through all of the motions. Our fundamental ignorance to truth has populated our churches with growing numbers of people who pay lip service to the Lord but then go and live their own way. They claim to believe the Bible is true, but they have no desire to live by its requisites. And so it's a wink, wink, nod, nod thing they've got going on with God. Well, I read in the Bible that all these things are sin. I'm going to keep on sinning because I think grace will just cover me. That's contempt for the Lord. Absolute contempt before him. We, we just give ourselves a, a blanket excuse on these items. We need to know God's word. We need to live by God's word. We need to hear it and we need to, secondly, we need to heed it. Our failure to heed God's word and act on the, what we know to be true in God's word leaves us at a spiritual deficit. We need to hear, we need to hear what Morgan said years ago. He said, the most difficult congregation in the world to which to preach is the congregation that hears the gospel regularly and refuses to obey it. G. Campbell Morgan said, the most difficult congregation to pastor is the one who hears the word of God consistently but refuses to obey it. 
They're hearing, but they're not heeding. And I say with sadness, many will never know the fullness of God, the abundance of God, never know triumph, never know peace, always leave, always live and leave within the frustrating realm of religion rather than true relationship with God. For they will not come to grips with obedience to the scripture. Obedience is far too high a price for them to pay. And fullness requires it. Mother, a mother had reached her breaking point with a rebellious child. Finally, she threw up her hands and she said, all right, Billy, just do anything you darn well please. Now let me see you disobey that. If I know human nature, Billy found a way. J. Robert Ashcroft was a towering figure in our movement, really before I came along. As a matter of fact, he passed from this life in 1958. I was born in 59. His son, who carried his name, Robert Ashcroft, became the Attorney General of the United States under George W. Bush. His father, though, J. Robert Ashcroft, was a deeply godly man, a powerful influence, a mover and shaker you know, in our movement. And Ashcroft said, all heaven is waiting to help those who will discover the will of God and do it. You say, man, I want that, that, that abundance. I want that fullness you're talking about. I want to know what it is to know more than enough. I want to be the one who's generous on all occasions because of the blessing of God. I want to be there. All of heaven is waiting to help those who will discover the will of God and do it. This morning, this promise that we've unpacked in Psalms, it's incredible, it's abundance, it's triumph for the open and eager one who will hear and do the word and the will of the Lord. So here's my question. Is anyone hungry? Is anyone hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. Is there spiritual hunger? Do you really want to know the fullness of God in your life. In the old days, we would do vacations in the car with the kids, drive a lot of miles, play the scene over in my mind time and time again, not knowing the roads and headed someplace you hadn't been before. Every once in a while as dad, you'd just say, anyone feeling hungry? Because I just saw a sign that said, there's a Wendy's on this exit. Anyone hungry? You know what we'd do if no one said they were hungry? We'd drive on. Just because it's the way it worked in the Crabtree household, I always found the last Wendy's on the highway for 400 miles. And we would simply drive on by because no one was hungry. I'm tired, a little tired of sitting in the driver's seat in the church, going past all 
of the exits because no one's hungry. And where there is no spiritual hunger, there is no spiritual fullness. We cease to experience the power of God. We cease to experience his full provision in our lives. Why are we not hungry? Because we have fed ourselves full on something else. And it satisfies on a shallow level. But when the world is shaken, when everything starts coming apart at the seams, we can't find any stability in the depths. Are you hungry? Are you hungry this morning?